Bibles of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11. Do not be deceived that just one verse means a short sermon. <clears throat> Some of the longest sermons I ever heard is one verse. That's a portion of a verse. But not, of course not me, you know that. The evil influences good more than good influences the evil. I hope you know that. But I've met many Christians who do not know that. There seems to have been a lot of doubt in this subject, especially among young Christians. Now, young Christians don't necessarily mean age. It can mean since your birth into Christ. But you want to get real clear what the Bible teaches on this subject of the influence of evil and the influence of good. The question is, do we influence the evil around us more than they influence us. One school of thought says that good influences evil more, and, and they conduct their behavior and based on this presupposition or assumption. The other says evil influences good more than good influences evil, and they conduct themselves consequently. Your philosophy of life or your understanding of truth is like a rudder on a ship. It will guide you. Well, who's right? Who's right? What does the Bible teach? Well, that's just going to be the next, by the grace of God, 30 minutes or less. We'll tell you what the Bible teaches. Does it make a difference? What I believe in this area, I believe it does. I believe your associations, your friendships, your haunts, you know what a haunt is, your past, your, your, your playtime, where you go, uh, will be affected by your understanding of this, where you eat, where you, uh, just everything in your life will be affected by it. Who you marry, uh, who you date, who you work with uh, will be affected by this. Um, I dated, um, I was backslidden from 14 years old to 18 years old, horribly backslidden, really. I told my mom and dad I was sorry they were raising me a Christian, didn't want to be a Christian. That was about the, some of the stupidest stuff I've ever said. I've said a lot of stupid stuff. And they just uh, bore with me on that, I believe. I was dating an unsaved Catholic girl. And uh, her and I were tight, and we wanted to get married, and, you know, uh, we were convinced of it. But in my completely backslidden state, I still had the Holy Spirit because I knew that I could not marry an unsaved woman and it'd be okay. Because I'd already been taught by 14 years old that this is what I'm going to try to teach you this morning. And so though I didn't tell her, but I knew if she didn't get saved, I wasn't going to be able to get married. I just wasn't going to be able to do it. 
as crazy as I was, as wild and stupid as I was being, I at least knew that. Well, guess what happened? God saved her. I gave her the gospel. I told her when I gave her the gospel, I'm the worst testimony you've ever seen. But she believed the gospel. Now, I think after all these years, she really got it. Even though she left me recently <laughs> and is out at Lancaster, California right now. In fact, she went out there just so she could hear Dr. Crabb preaching chapel, I think. I don't know. I think this understanding of this truth of Ephesians 5, verse 11, will change the way you reach the world with the gospel. So what is the purpose? Let's, start, let's go back and regress a little bit and say, what's the purpose of our salvation? What's the purpose? Why did you get saved? Well, Galatians, if you would take your Bible, I'm not going to have you turn only a couple places, but Galatians, you haven't even turned to Ephesians 5.11 yet, have you? You're already there, but put your finger there. We're going to read that in a moment. But if, uh, let's go to Galatians 1.4. I read the Bible numbers of times before this verse just popped out at me. Well, when this verse popped out at me, the Holy Spirit really made it clear. In Galatians 1, 4, it says, who gave himself for our sins. Now, everybody would say amen to that, all right? Jesus Christ died for your sins. He gave himself for your sins. He substituted for you if you'll trust him as your Savior. He took upon all the wrath that your sin and my sin deserve. Oh, those are good things, every one of them. It says he gave himself for our sins. Why? That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. This is often not mentioned when speaking about salvation. In fact, often it's overshadowed by 2 Corinthians 1.10, which says, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he yet will deliver. And so, uh, it's past, present, and future. Christ saved me past, present, and future. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He saved me from my sins. That's usually what takes the center stage. Colossians 2, 13, 14 says, and you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How much is all? blotting out the handwritings of ordinances that was against us. That's the law of Moses, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. That usually gets center stage. But God is not only saving us from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin, but he's saving us eventually and, and even now from the presence of sin. <clears throat> First Peter, I believe it is. Let me make sure of that. First Peter 2.24 says, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, sins plural, by the way, should live under righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. It is an oxymoron for a born-again Christian indwelt by God himself to be out in the world continuing in the old sins he was saved from. Why? Because God has saved us to set us apart from this 
evil world. Titus words it like this. Titus 2.14 says, who gave himself for us. I, I just really like the passages of the Bible who talk about him substituting for me. Amen. I need to substitute. Who gave himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us from all, how much? You guys are going to get this or we got to go through this whole thing. From, from how much? Iniquity. It just makes me feel better. And purify unto himself a peculiar people. And we are peculiar. To the world, we're anathema. We're freaks. We're from outer space. We were left here by chariots of the gods. Something happened. Romans 18.4, what a verse. It says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. And by the way, that voice is saying the same thing today. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, plural, and that she receive not her plagues. That kind of insinuates that if you, as a born-again Christian, participate in the sins you've been forgiven, that you're going to receive some serious chastisement, the kind of chastisement they're going to get. They're going to get. I mean, ooh, God wants you to be saved, amen? He wants you to be saved from sin's penalty. I'm for that. Everybody say it? Amen. Glory. I want to be saved from hell. But he wants you to be saved from sin's power. Romans 6 says the power of sin has been cut. Before you were saved, you were like a duck. You quack like a duck, walk like a duck, swam like a duck. But God cut the power of that sin which reigned in us. And now we can fly like an eagle. God has saved you from sin's ultimate presence. Now I realize there's a process here. It's a process called big word sanctification. The setting apart to God, the setting apart away from the world. It's a two-part two word. We're foreigners in this world after you get saved. The Bible says, 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You born-again believers in here, do you, do you feel like sometimes this is a war? Well, you better, because it is. I mean, we're, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Though we're forgiven, yes, we're forgiven. Though our name's written in the Lamb's book of life, though we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, positionally, Practically, we still are in this evil world, and we're in this evil body. Do you know your body cannot go to heaven? You have to die to go to heaven. You have to. Or the rapture. I'm voting for the rapture. Amen. I'm off to you on this. I've seen enough people die. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary one with another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. We're still on earth. We're still earth-bound creatures. We are in the flesh. By the way, no good thing, the Bible says, comes out of the flesh. No good thing. The carnal part of us. 
And this carnality that we possess, called the flesh, this old man it's called, keeps suggesting bad things to us all the time. Keeps misinterpreting God's will to us all the time. Keeps wanting us to go back into the sins that we have been forgiven of. But so God's goal for us is not just redemption from hell. That seems to be where Christians kind of like to stop sometimes. Well, I've been born again, saved, sealed, predestinated, elected, and atoned for, brother. But they're living in the sins of the flesh and the sins of the world. And I'm like, well, there's something not right here, right? But he wants us to be set apart from this old evil world, Galatians 1.4. That's not my text. I'm coming up on your blind side on this. There are many warnings in Scripture, many warnings in Scripture that confirm this, that we're in this world, born again people, but we're in a war and a battle. It's dangerous out here as a born again Christian. The Bible says, just to give you a few of them, beware of false prophets, beware of men, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, beware of hypocrisy, beware of covetousness, beware, you pet owners, of dogs. All you cat lovers are like, yeah, I knew dogs were bad from the day one. That's talking about people. Beware of concision, evil workers. Beware lest any man spoil you through vain philosophies of this old world. That means your potential. Beware, beware, beware. Is enough said there? This is why so many cautions in the Bible to you and to me as born-again Christians about the power of evil and its influence over you. Let me just give you some. Flee. The word flee means to... to uh, It'd be like this place was on fire and smoke was coming in real heavily. Uh, you folks, I probably wouldn't have to tell you this, but flee. You'd all just get up and very gentlemanly like ladies first. No, you'd trample over each other. Old people last. You know how that works. You say you should think higher of us than that. Bible says flee fornication, 1 Corinthians 3.18. Flee from idolatry, 1 Corinthians 10.14. Flee youthful lust, 2 Timothy 2.22. Depart from iniquity, 2 Timothy 2.19. Purify yourself, even as he is pure, 1 John 3.3. 3. Have no, here's our text, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. You get the you already probably been to that. Rather than being in sympathy with the sins of this world and seeing how close we can get to them, we're supposed to stay away from them and indeed rebuke them as wrong. There, it is the church's, I say the church's, that's you and me, obligation to tell people abortion is murder. It is the obligation of the church to tell folks that homosexuality is an abomination to God. It is the obligation of the church to say that feminism is of the devil. It's the obligation of the church to say that drugs and uses of all the pharmacaea stuff out there to get high is wicked and wrong. And, and there's like 600 and 
37 different sins mentioned in the Bible. Just look that up. See, people want to condemn us for, oh, they, you're never going to reach people by telling them they're wrong. You're, they're never going to be saved unless they realize they're wrong. If you're here today and you're upset with me because of what I've said already, that's a good start. Because what I said is true to the Bible. And it's true to what God said. And you're going to face God eyeball to eyeball, kicking and screaming, but you're going to face him. Personally, I wouldn't want to face him and have to answer for my own sin. I wouldn't want to do that. But it's our job to tell him, look, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. They're wrong. They'll hurt you. I think uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, let me read you a few verses here. And you want to mark this in the book. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 7, 1, really. Goes right, it really flows through 7, 1. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, there's five what's. Five questions. Let's start with what. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And I want you to answer. Let's, do, let's play a little something. None. You say together, none. Ready? None. What communion hath light with darkness? None. What concord hath Christ with Belial? None. What part hath a believer with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Because that's really, that's really what the Bible said. And here's why. For ye, and that's plural, are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, not around them, not by them. Glory to God, in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the conclusion of that is, wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And why? And I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about work salvation. I'm talking about a salvation that works. I'm talking about Ephesians, not 2, 8, and 9. I'm talking about Ephesians 2, 10. 2, 10. Nobody likes to quote that one more. In fact, I'm not going to quote it. I'm going to make you look it up. But, but the, the crowning jewel of this passage is 2 Corinthians 7, 1, the next verse. Having therefore these promises. What promises? The ones you just went through there. Dearly beloved, let us. That means you have some power in this thing. You have choice-making ability. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Perfecting, completing holiness in the fear of God. So the conclusion is, though we are eventually completely sanctified and saved, the redemption of our body eventually will happen. We'll leave this old body here. We'll get a new body like unto his glorious body. But it says in 1 John, with that hope that that's coming, we're to purify ourselves, even as he is pure. Because the flesh is, al is alive and well on planet Earth. Amen. 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 You know, when you, you sanctified folks are driving down 41 on the right lane, and somebody on three lanes over on the left puts their right direction on, 
and instead of waiting for, instead of turning left and finding another light and going through the light and over, they just take all three lanes right in front of you. And when you stop them and ask them why they did that, say, that's why you got brakes on your car. I rode with an 85-year-old one time, and he pulled right out in front of four or five. People just slammed their brakes on, people, cars going everywhere. And I said, what in the world? You're going to kill us all. I said, that's what they got brakes on them cars for. Somebody else told me a story like that the other day. Why, you may lose your sanctification a little bit when that happens. We're still vulnerable to this, to sin. We're still vulnerable. We're still vulnerable to evil iniquities while on this old earth. This causes us to beware of the things that God says to beware of. This is why we keep reading the Bible yearly, daily, regularly, thoroughly, deeply, to the place where our blood begins to flow biblene, and we begin to quote, and our speech begins to take on King James' ease, and we begin to address God as thou. And I mean, it just... I have literally seen people's vocabulary made Bible vocabulary. They're thinking. With that goes their thinking processes. With that goes their value system. With that goes their decision making. With that goes their ultimate end. And brother, the word of, the word of God and the Holy Spirit will keep you in good stead. Keep you in good stead. Take you all the way home. This causes us to stay away from evil as much as possible, not have the philosophy of a whole group of Christians out there have a philosophy of become like the wicked to win the wicked. That is just not found in Scripture anywhere. The Bible says become like Jesus to win the wicked. And Jesus everywhere, anywhere in the Bible was holy. Separate from sinners. That didn't mean he didn't walk among them. I walk among them. I eat in restaurants with them. I think we ought to go out and about. I think we ought to go everywhere we can with the gospel. I think we ought to be aggressive with the gospel. I think we ought to be uh, in the forefront and in their faces with it. I think we ought to do billboards, obviously. I, I think we pass tracks out, bus ministry, uh, door to door. I mean, just 20 some odd different ideas. Ice cream ministry, uh, flea market ministry, you name something. We want to do it. But I can tell you this. We believe the Bible enough not to fellowship with them. Now, what's fellowship? Two fellows in a ship. I cannot have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. You say, I can, Brother Bill. You're lying to yourself. Because the Bible said, if I'm going to believe you or the book, which one am I going to believe? I'm going to believe the book. People come and say, yeah, but I can do it. I've done it. And they give it. Yeah, but I know people lie too. But I know the book doesn't lie and God doesn't lie and the Holy Spirit doesn't lie. I'm just going to believe what the book says over the testimonies I may hear once in a while. It says, well, I did this or I did that. And by the way, a rule is not made by exceptions. Man, this is good stuff. You don't make a rule on a, you say, well, I heard an exception to that. Okay, 
You may hear an exception once in a while, but I can tell you this, the rule is what the book, the book's talking about, called otherwise principles. Principles normally, regularly, by majority, are what they are. There are sometimes strange exceptions. Have I seen a, a saved guy marry an unsaved person, a woman, and, and it work out? I have. Have I seen an unsaved, a saved woman marry an unsaved man against the Bible and, and it work out? I have seen it work out. But it's still, the Bible still says in the majority of cases, it's not going to work out for you. Don't do it. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. See, you won't have to worry about the unfruitful works of darkness getting too close to you and influencing you. Remember with the whole beginning of the sermon? Does evil influence good more than good influence evil? Yes, it does. Why? Because we still have the flesh, and we are subject to the wiles of the devil sometimes. And so we have to be careful and obey God on this and try to stay in, in our fellowship. Now, I know you may work with somebody unsaved, amen. Give them the gospel. But I'm going to tell you this. If I worked in a place that, play, that, that inundated me with, with garbage and rock and roll music and all kinds of stuff and wickedness or nakedness, I'd move to some other job or starve to death. I said a long time ago, if I got to work on Sundays, I'm going to starve to death. I mean it. I had to make that decision. You can't believe how many people want me to work on Sunday. So work on Sunday, work on Sunday. Then they want me to work on Saturday too. Well, oftentimes it was my bus calling time, my family time. I'm not going to do that. I said, if I can't make a living five days a week, I'm just going to starve to death. Look at me. I'm good. I'm good shape. A little skinny, but not too bad. We are to witness, we're to be aggressive, we're to be out and about, but brother and sister in Christ, Ephesians 5.11 is true, and so many other places. Have no fellowship. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather be aggressive, if I may say it that way. Be aggressive against it. Be aggressive against it. You know, sometimes we get the idea that we have to play patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I know Jesus when he preached. Man, he didn't spare. I take our examples from Peter when he preached his first two sermons. He didn't spare. He said, you've murdered the prince of life. I think that was pretty tough talk. You murdered the prince of life. I mean, he was talking to people that just killed Jesus. And very likely have the power to take him out. In fact, they tried, didn't they? Maybe one of the biggest mysteries, uh, mysteries of the book of Acts for me is James being killed in Acts 12. Here he walks and talks with Jesus and taught by Jesus for all those three and a half years. And he gets killed right up front. I'm like, I'll never figure that out. Peter didn't get killed, but he did. He had a short ministry, brother. But he did what was right when he could. Now, look at your life. Look at your life. I think we ought, I've been condemned sometimes with eating with the unsaved people. I have a sermon called Why I Eat with Sinners. 
Sometimes I'll go to eat lunch and there'll be an unsaved person there and they'll sit with me and want to talk about things. But as long as I keep the conversation about Jesus, I'm good. We're in a neutral location, public place. I keep the conversation about Jesus. As soon as they want to start telling a dirty joke, no, that's not for me. As soon as they want to try to influence me, and you notice there's a little jousting going on. They'll try to influence you over here. Are you a preacher? <laughs> the preachers cuss? Yes, they do. Yeah. They don't like it, but they do. I hope you get that this morning. I hope you take it home with you. I hope you understand evil influences in this world. Evil influences good more than good influences evil. Father, help us this morning to be able to digest these truths. These verses mentioned, the word of God will not return void, but will accomplish that which is sent out to do. We thank you for the Bible. It has our guide and you have our back. Father, there may be some in this room that know not Christ their personal Savior. You've been contemplating Jesus. But you've never personally placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Why not today? Why not? I'm here afterwards. Invitation's not over when the music stops. Maybe there's some other burden or trouble you've been struggling with. We'd like to talk to you about it. Brother Chris will be here. Brother Moon will be here. Dr. Crabb will be here. And we'll hang around a little bit so you can talk to us. There'll be ladies here. Ladies, if you'd like to talk to another lady, we'd love you too. We just love you and want to help you. Young people here today, you may, you're going to get all kind of contradictory things said to you about what I said today. You can just go back to the Bible. What's the New Testament say? And by the way, it's true all the way from Genesis all the way to the last verse of Revelation. Father, we just pray that you give wisdom to us. Save a remnant. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.